are entering a new age, an age demanding greater collaboration, enhanced creativity, heightened agility. Welcome to Agile and Beyond, a podcast for agile enthusiasts, design thinkers, team builders, and organization designers. With practitioners and thinkers, we explore the future of work, the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience and purpose. In episode two of a three-part conversation with Jesse Perlman, Agilist and customer success expert at CA Technologies, formerly Rally Software, we discuss the Colorado community of agile practice, the alignment of vision and environment, surviving versus thriving, infinite scalability and the optimum end state, agile failures, discipline and alignment, dating agile, institutional narcissism, and listening to the customer. I met you at the, the Colorado Community yeah. of Practice. Practice. We, we call it Colorado a Community of Practice for Agile Health. Colorado Community of Agile... You're going to have to ask Elizabeth White what the actual title of it is. Uh, uh, <laughs> we call it a, a Community of Practice for Agile Health. Okay. Okay. And we talk about Agile Health from the perspective of raising responsible corporate entities. And a responsible corporate entity is paying attention to its internal environment its employees and their needs, as well as its external environment, that marketplace it's trying to serve, and its own vision. And it's constantly trying to balance that out. Yeah, and I, it, was a, it was a very interesting uh, talk that, uh, a tag team mm-hmm. talk that you did with Elizabeth uh, White, where on the board you had the vision, mm-hmm. and then you had the environment mm-hmm. uh, that you were laying out and how these had to match yeah. and align up. Could you speak to that? Sure. Um, we talked about rallying and we talked about that culture. Well, a culture is a, f- is a form of an environment. It's a mental environment. It's one we embody in our, in our heads. It's one that we live in our actions. But it's an environment nonetheless. But we think of it as a culture. All right, so we leave it as culture. It's, it's, what, it's what the vision is. It's, it's what the values are of the business to achieve the vision. Right? So that's culture. And then you have the environment. In other words... Well, environment can be the building itself. Uh, what's best for uh, a development team? Is it an open, an open room where all the teams can just gang up and talk to each other, or is it segregated, or is it this? So an environment is also not just a building, but it's, it's environmental pressures on what you're trying to do. So let's say uh, part of the environment is a dependency on another team to do a piece of work. So that's part of your environment. That's a wall that has to be breached somehow, right? So we think about environments and how they impact or can also influence a culture. Just because we want a level um, uh, or a horizontal leadership doesn't mean that my environment will support it if I have a building where the president sits on the 100th floor 
and the vice president sit on 99, and da 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 and I sit all the way down on the 100th floor as the latest employee. Well, great, fantastic. My culture says it's a horizontal leadership. <laughs> I got to scale 100 floors to go talk to this guy. Do I really have the time to do that, or am I being encouraged to talk to him? Or is the is the art is the environment actually reflecting the values? You say exactly. that it's horizontal, but it's it's clearly architecturally right. not. Right. Did you make the choice to buy the architecture and say you were doing this? So we always want to measure those things. And this is where agility comes in with transparency. If your executives are transparent, true and honest about what it is they are trying to accomplish, and they have legitimately empowered you to do so you are in a sweet position to start doing the work because you've been given all the information, you understand your environment properly, and they've told you what you need, you will create. So you sit with your teams and you start creating your, your working environment. And those are the working agreements. It's a subset of culture almost. But it's how you and I are going to relate to do this body of work. That's an environment. What does it mean that this is approved? That's an environment, right? What does it take for it to move from an unsuccessful environment to a successful environment? So these are environments, and cultures can influence environment, and environment can influence cultures. What you want to have at the outset is a very clear understanding. Look, Agile either rehabilitates an existing organization into, an, into a new, robust Agile organization, or it grows a brand new one. In either case, in other words, an agile organization starts brand new because it has a vision and it has a, a purpose that it wants and it collects the right people like Rally did. Oh, you, so like a startup. Right, uh, it's like a startup. A, a startup idea. Right. Okay. Either it's born or it's got to be rehabilitated. Either way, you still need the same things. A clear vision and a strong set of values that align to the vision. And then you must have the environments that support your teams to do the work against the vision, working in the values that you've given them. If you don't do that, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> if you are not transparent, you really don't care. This is why I come back to saying it really counts if your executives have bought in or not. So if it's a startup, usually your executives believe because they wouldn't have started it otherwise. But if it's, a, if, if it's an existing organization, you have to kind of wake them back up to why did they get started in the first place? What did you want to be when even, you were going to grow if up? If they're even still there. Right. Well, any executive, why did you get started in the first place? Why did you join this business? Did you believe in its vision? And what do you see that vision being now? You have to wake them back up to their purpose in life, that they have a purpose. Beyond just making beyond profit. Money. Yeah, beyond money. And if you can wake them back up to that there's more to life than just work, <laughs> then you can start working with that whole organization to show them how to smell the flowers and to enjoy recess and to not stress or survive when they could be thriving. Because agile and agility is really about optimizing a system it's a, this is back to you. Well, I, I wrote. <laughs> you said agile is infinitely scalable. It's infinitely scalable. And the end, it, the goal is to reach an end optimum state. 
Right. The goal is to reach the, the, uh, the optimum end state for whatever it is you're trying to do. All right. So what is the optimum end state for a software development company? It's to develop and deliver software to the market. So for Rally, it was to, do, to improve and deliver Rally to the market. Okay. That was easy enough. Okay. Um, so how do we optimize that? Well, we didn't. That's why we got bought. Uh, there's an interesting question so what yeah so you had such a great system wonderful values people loved being there they were creating their own reality were they creating the wrong reality yep it happened so agile left unchecked goes wild and any cell that goes into rapid reproduction without governance is a cancer any cell in your body that starts to reproduce without governance from the DNA is a cancer. Any system that starts evolving without governance evolves to a point where it pulls itself apart. So what happened at Rally was that we had Agile, but we didn't understand how to scale Agile as we grew. Agile started as a team solution. Right. What we didn't understand was that the prescription around what we were doing in Scrum was something that we could extend to help us as we grew more than just an iteration's worth of work or a release's worth of work. But what happened was because their teams were so embodied with Agile and we thought Agile could do no wrong, that we had teams who were doing Scrum, and we had teams who were doing Kanban, and we had teams who were doing what they felt was appropriate. They were using their own technologies, they were using different code, they were doing different features, and we were delivering stuff into our market that our market, our users were coming back going, why did you give us this? We didn't want this, we didn't even ask for this. Why do we have this? Well, I'm not sure that's, that's truly agile because one of the key points of Agile is being customer focused and collaborating with their <laughs> needs and getting <laughs> constant feedback from them. So now what we're talking about is what everybody who's been burnt by Agile hates about Agile is when you leave it unchecked. This is why you need coaches. This is why you need scrum masters. See, Rally pulled out its coaching organization. Rally got really cocky and said, we got this. We got it. We know what we're doing. Oh, so they stopped doing Agile. They a- were doing Agile-ish. We were Agile. We were very Agile in our mentalities. The problem was is we were so over-enthused with Agile that we weren't looking at what it was doing to us until a little too late. What happened was is that these people would collect and start doing their own thing. So now you have development that isn't aligned to any strategy. It's not even predictable. It's not even repeatable. But it's agile because they're innovating, they're constantly, you know, uh, retroing, and they're constantly improving this, you know, outlier process. Yeah, but what? But you always have to. One of the key things is whenever you're delivering some product or service, you you need that feedback. Yeah. And so, who were their stake? Were they stakeholderless? Were yep. they customerless? Is that yeah. what it was? They were. Yeah. They were basically internally pleasing each other. They got. They got addicted to the power. So there it is. There's the bad addiction. 
you can get addicted to to the power of agile in that you you believe that if I'm innovating and if I'm constantly learning, then it has a value. It does if you're an artist. It does if you're like an artist. Picasso was a, was probably an agilist, but right, he was so wonderful. It's like you like what I do or you don't like what I do, but right. you're operating in business. And art is subjective, right? And so, but a business is objective in nature. So, yeah, this is why Rally was acquired. In the end, this is my personal philosophy of it. You, Lord knows who's going to hear this, and I may get some hate mail around it. But please there, send all hate mail to, to Jesse. To, right, to Jesse. <laughs> no, no uh, that's fine. No, this is controversy is good. Controversy is the, good. The, but the truth is, is that Tim Miller realized we had a very, very bad quarter, and we were reporting to the street. We'd gone IPO. We we're in our first year of IPO. And we hadn't been making the numbers, and we had a really bad quarter. And Tim Miller turned around, and he said, I've failed. He had a company meeting, all hands, and he said, I've failed. That's huge. I failed. We're not predictable. We're not delivering to the market. We need to fix this. He said, you know what? We sell a platform, and we sell a solution. And we sell coaching, and we tell all of our customers that they need to be doing these things at scale, and they need to be doing it in a predictable way, and they need visibility, and they need all the things that we don't have. So what I'm doing is I'm going to perform an agile transformation on ourselves. I'm bringing in one of our best transformation consultants, Ryan Polk, who's now VP of product for the Agile Business Unit. And... Ryan will tell you himself, he hated doing the transformation on us because when you sit down with a bunch of experts and tell them they're all wrong, you have a lot of resistance to what you're doing. And that's what Tim Miller did. He said, we're wrong and we need to fix it. And Ryan Polk came in and he transformed our organization. He said, guess what? We're standardizing. Everybody's doing Scrum. And we're all going to do Scrum until we're predictable. And then you can justify why you need to be doing something other than Scrum. And guess what? If you're doing development, it will be aligned to a portfolio item, a strategy that we have that we're trying to accomplish in the market. And if you're not doing development to a strategy that we're aligned to, then you're not doing development in this company. So he got very hardline. Tim Miller sat down and said, guess what? We're putting all the practices and procedures and ceremonies and coaches back in place. And we're putting the rigor and the discipline back in place. Because if you don't have rigor and discipline aligned with what you're doing in your agile work, then none of it's any good. It's all just wild and useless. There's no value. It's, it's all, quite frankly, done for your own ego at that point. And if you're only working for yourself, fantastic. Now this was, the let's say, the agile failure. Mm-hmm that Rally experienced mm-hmm. and now has rejuvenated from, mm-hmm. uh, been uh, reborn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that a different sort because of the DNA or so many, quote, agilists in the organization? Was that failure different in character from the failure of an agile transformation in a traditional organization where most of the people operating in the organization are sort of rejecting the con- 
concept of Agile right from the beginning. How, how are these two failures different or the same? So they're different insofar as that organization that is being transformed and is dismissing it is living in denial. At some point, they said, I'm going to try this, but I'm really not going to commit. They're dating. They're dating Agile. Okay. Right? And their failure is one of choice. Do we choose to buy in or not? Really, that's it. With Tim Miller, the failure was... The first failure was thinking that Agile in itself is sufficient. In other words, you can trust your constant iteration or your constant feedback to guide you in the right direction. That's assuming, but you were talking about that you weren't really getting feedback on some of your teams from so feedback in the so outside world. The outside, the internal feedback, right? So is Agile is a consistent? Um, constant, well, no, you were saying right. constant iteration. Constant iteration. That's what, that's. Right. You if said that's insufficient. Right. It's insufficient if I don't have external feedback. Mm. If I don't have that external feedback, then the only thing I'm working with is what I already know and what everybody else already knows. You're not going to get anywhere new. You're not. All right? So that's what we forgot. We thought that the teams could be self-governing enough that it would be fine. And they were until they weren't. They led themselves astray. Agile in the wild will, will go in a straight line only so far and then veer off because there's no outside feedback coming in. But I would argue that that's not, if you're not, what is it, transparency and the empirical process control, mm -hmm. transparency, inspect, and adapt. Mm -hmm. If you're not, do it sounds like this was a failure in, in inspection and a failure in realizing that you may have blind spots and that you may need people every so often, even if you're top, mm -hmm. a top performer, mm -hmm. An Olympic athlete, mm -hmm. it might be nice every so often to, mm -hmm. to have somebody right. push you to the limit. Agile failed. All the things you talked about are elements of Agile. Our Agile failed because we didn't get that external feedback. We didn't, we, we, it's a narcissism. It's an institutional narcissism. We're going to get psychological here. Yeah. We bought in to our own myth to the point where our hubris destroyed us. That's really what happened. Agile solves everything. I'm agile. I iterated. It solved it. No, it's not a panacea, man. <laughs> but we bought into it. We bought into the myth so much it became a hubris that elevated us above our position. And then the real world gods of, of the market took us down. So do, do you need another philosophy, another uh, methodology, or do you just need to have to take agile plus awareness that you're not existing by yourself i mean it's a little bit like um what's it neuro neuroticism i guess it's kind of like you're you're so in your own head yeah. i guess that you don't realize that there's a world out there it's like it's sort of like institutional autism or something of yeah that nature. It, it can it can get to be that way so how do you avoid that 
Well, you avoid that. Are you uncomfortable with the direction this no, conversation no, no, is going? No, 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 I'm enjoying it, actually. <laughs> you avoid it by... Look, you avoid it by keeping coaches in place. You, you avoid it by staying open and honest and transparent. You avoid it by remaining humble, by remaining that you're the least important thing there is, that your customer is actually the most important element here because guess what? They pay your damn bills. And that's really where we failed was listening to the customer. Our development got detached from the customer's voice because their egos made them think they knew better because they were agile and all of our customers were not. That's one of the mentalities that, that, that was in there. There was just this mythos of ourselves that we bought into that wasn't true. Okay. Now this started. There's the there's the philosophy. There's yep. the methodology, mm -hmm. and you're you're kind of focusing, or at least in the way you're describing mm -hmm. it, is at the team level. Although large scale Scrum mm -hmm. sort of sounds very similar. It's the same thing. It's just longer time frames. Okay. Where were your product owners and your product managers, who were supposed to be representing the vision? of the stakeholders and the client and the structure. It may have been that the teams, I'm throwing something out, could mm -hmm. it have been that the teams, they were doing, they were doing their job. They were, they were iterating, they were adapting, this sort of thing, but they were in a, in a, in a cone of silence and, and the... Uh, yes. So when you pulled the coaches out, you pulled that, that nervous system out, right? That sense and response system to say, we've got things that are out of whack. So then what happens is the product owners Product owners, because they had no scrum masters and coaches, didn't have that. The scrum, the coach and the scrum master were the same thing. And they got rid of those. They got rid of them. They pulled them all out. They pulled them all out um, because we thought we were mature. Well, you're never fully mature. Life teaches us that we never really know everything we need to know until we need to know it. And then life puts it in front of us. So we weren't mature. We got cocky. We removed some critical elements that, that keep agile, agile, and we fell down. And we started to stand back up. And we, 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 when Tim Miller basically put his foot right through our butt, we got into the predictable state again. And we started producing a roadmap to our customers saying, hey, in the last quarter, these are the features we delivered. And in this quarter, these are the features that we're planning on. And when we first started doing it about a year and a half ago, we were at about 82% accomplishment of that roadmap. That's pretty good. 80% accomplishment. The first time we tried was good. We went to 86, we went to 87. This last one that we just did, 100% of the roadmap that we committed to, we delivered. We wow. are that predictable. But we have coaches in place. We retro regularly. We have scrum masters for every team. We are doing agile the right way, consciously, and not getting cocky. And you have product owners or product managers. Product owners and product managers. Now, in, when we were bad, the product owners and the product managers just didn't have that balancing voice from the scrum master to help in the arguments. Also, let's talk about psychology. We did steering regularly. We talked about what our visions were regularly. Every quarter at Rally, before it was purchased, we did steering. We still do steering now. Um, but we did steering to make sure that the priorities that we thought about in our planning were still the right priorities. 
So the problem was is that steering wasn't connected to the teams and the planning wasn't happening all in one room. So when you disconnect fission from execution, you muddy the fidelity of the, of the transmission. So some of the teams may have thought that they were working on the strategy that had been broadcast, but that this, the communication channels, because they, weren't, because they weren't all in one place or weren't transparent or clear, was muddied, and now they're doing development that they think aligns to a strategy, and they tell the product owner, sure, it aligns to the strategy. The product owner thinks it aligns to the strategy, but it doesn't really align to the strategy. So one of the things that really helped align the steering and the strategizing was the big room plan, which was, all right, if this is the strategic vision of the business, let's pull all the development organization in and say, what are you trying to do in the next six or three months? All right. From what you're trying to do in the next three months, why are you trying to do this? Why is, what is the value that you're trying to deliver to the market? Okay. As the group of experts who are going to deliver this, yes, this is all possible. Here are your risks. Here's all the problems with that. Have you thought about this additional feature as an enhancement? This is something that needs to be done first before you can do that. Now you're starting to illustrate all of the work before you even start that goes into the theme of work that the business wants from their strategy. In other words, you have a clear line of communication between what we want to do and what can actually be done by the teams. And now when you have this communication happening and the business says in three months we want to accomplish this scope of work, the team pushes back and says, or the teams, the, the organization pushes back and says, no, we can only accomplish this or we can actually accomplish more. Now you know for a fact the feedback cycles are in the right place. You've got your customer feeding back into the business. The business is now feeding to the development organization. The development organization is feeding back into the business about what's appropriate. And where necessary, the customers put in direct communication with the development organization so that they get a clear understanding of what the values are that the customer needs to be, needs to be developed. That's healthy. That's appropriate. That gives full transparency and full communication in appropriate time frames to address the scope of work that's being delivered and to allow for the steering in between the start and end of that to ensure that the maximum amount of value based on the change in development or in market conditions is still being delivered to the market on time. I don't even know what I just said. That's fine. We'll, 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 we'll take a moment of silence okay. here to digest that. <laughs> uh, no, thanks. This completes episode two of a three-part conversation with Jesse Perlman. Listening to Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, keep evolving.